You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Or Google them, and uh, you'll be on the same team, Team Pangolin. What can they teach us? Yes, they are foregoing bushmeat. They're actually taking these pangolins and then using the routes they've already established for ivory to smuggle these animals. Many species are in crisis and need your help. So they do know the populations are are plummeting, you know, and that, again, that's why we're seeing it in the news and, and things like that. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Angie. Hey, Angie. Good to see you again. Our weekly it talk. It is nice to see you. Yes, yes. yes. I'm very... It's always fun. I'm very, yeah, I'm very excited about the species we're covering today. Yes, yes, the pangolin. Just one that you've been bugging me to get mm-hmm. done. And not to be confused with the penguin. No, I know. This is, <laughs> when I mentioned it to my son that yes. we're doing the pangolin, he couldn't, he just couldn't, he yeah. just kept telling me facts about penguins. <laughs> yes. I just, oh my God. I can't believe you said that like two hours ago. I'm like, you told my three-year-old, I'm like, okay, we're doing pangolins today. And Ashley's like, you're doing penguins today? I said, no, pangolins. <laughs> so yes. not penguins, yes. not the things near me, not the, the things at the South Pole. These are pangolins, P-A-N-G-O-L-I-N. And Angie's been wanting to do these for a while, so I'm glad we're finally getting to them. Yes, yes. And if you stay tuned with us through the whole episode, which our faithful listeners always do, you're going to learn one of the cutest facts ever that baby pangolins do with their mamas. So stick with us and you'll learn about that behavior. Yes, I'm excited to learn. Yeah, let's jump right in for the listeners because there is this confusion about what a pangolin is mm-hmm. and a lot of people, especially um, I know in North America have never heard of this species. It's right. It is rare. In fact, I don't, I don't know if, I mean, for me, it's only been a few years. I feel that I've been hearing about it and knowing about it. And right, right. It's, it's been around only, obviously forever, but it's yeah. just, not been in popular press until no, recently. No, it hasn't. Yeah, it hasn't been in people's radar. And like Angie just said, it's been in the press because this is the most trafficked animal in the world. 
So not, you know, more than rhino horn, more than elephant tusks or the ivory, it is the pangolin is the one that is being trafficked the most, is worth the most, you know, per ounce, all that stuff, or up there per ounce. Sure, it's 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 poached. And the IUCN, which is the International Union of Conservation and Nature, estimates the pangolin is taken from the wild every five minutes. Right. Yeah, it's so sad. It is, it is, and, uh, and, but it's also one of the most unique mammals. Very. In the world because it's the only mammal with scales. Yes, yes. It is, you know, it's almost like, you know, we, we, we choose all these great animals and, you know, we just did the platypus a few weeks ago and now we have this one that's just another unique, uh, mammal. And mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, it's it's a crazy looking thing that we're going to jump in here in a second because Shh. not many people have seen them, Ange. They, you know, there's only what six zoos in North America now that have them. And, sure, and I think yeah. it's uh, just just recently since they've had such a, a conservation plight right. that uh, zoos in North America have had made had made a recent push to try to to learn more about these guys. So, right. Right. yeah, I mean, and they're often when you first look at them, I think. People mistake them as a reptile, right? Uh, but they're not, and right. they're also. I look at them and I see an armadillo. I used to work with armadillos mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. years ago, and but it, armadillos have shells where a right. uh, pangolin has have these scales that are almost like pine yeah. cone or an artich- yeah. artichoke shaped, but they right. also roll into balls like an armadillo. Uh-huh. When right. they're scared or threatened by uh, by a predator, so uh, yeah, just they're just really unique um, creatures, and they have big curved claws, which they mm-hmm. use to either climb trees and or when they're on the ground, do a lot of digging. Digging. Yep. So yeah, they're there are, and then some people even call them scaly ant eaters. So yeah. because yeah. because their diet is they're uh, they eat a lot of insects. Right. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, they're, weird. they're like, just fun. Yeah, they're fun. I don't know how else to describe yeah. them. I, I'm in love, Chris. Yeah. I, 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 I'm uh, cheating on my zebras and my rhinos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> These guys and are we, so cool. And, and I'll give a quick shout out too to Ashley in South Africa. She actually contacted us on Facebook and said, you guys need to do pangolins. And I wrote her back and said, you're right. We do. And we are. They were on the radar. And so, thank you, uh, Ashley. Yay, yeah, Team Pangolin. We appreciate I know, it. I know she does a lot of work down there in South Africa uh, with them, and works with some of the conservation centers there. So you know, again, the reach of the podcast is awesome. And somebody, you know, Ashley, uh, it there, Jonathan from British Columbia, he still messages us quite a bit, and he's given us a couple suggestions to do. So we may pick that up uh, here soon. Yeah, and so trying to describe these things, I think you've done a good job with the armadillo with scales. I think it looks like a dinosaur almost, except the face. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah I can see that. But, yeah, the body or a knight in shining armor, you know, but it's all layered. It's, you know, the colors of the scales, they range depending on the species, but I've seen from light tan to a reddish brown to a darker gray. Mm-hmm. So it depends on which ones. They generally do walk on all fours, but they mm-hmm. can rise up like I again dinosaur like a T Rex and kind of stomp around, you know. Uh, yeah, they'll do called. the yeah. they'll do the bipedal stance. 
Mm-hmm. Right, they do. They, right. Yeah, they, they look like a they look like T Rex, a miniature T Rex with, with the little with the little stubby stubby hands or yeah, uh, arms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and they got the big claws, you know, and the so big they claws. got those long claws. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then a big they have a really long snout, you know. So I guess almost like the hunter badger face with scales on it. If I'm looking at it. You know, I don't people just look at the show notes and there'll be a good image. There. Yeah. I was going to say, Chris, I don't know if we're doing them any favors, but the way we're describing <laughs> yeah. them, they're really, yeah. they're really beautiful and, you know, n- nature designed them very appropriately and they, they look amazing. So just check out the show notes or Google them yeah. and, uh, you'll be on the same yeah. team, team pangolin with us, uh, pretty quickly about how just, they're just very unique and very, and, yeah. um, I think they're good looking animals. They are. And it's like, you're right. It's hard because you're looking at it and you're like, how do I describe this thing? You know? <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> it's like, you're right. Uh, armadillo looks like an artichoke. There you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now the pangolins, you know, pretty broad range in the old world. So all span pretty much central Africa, west to east coast. And then mm-hmm. goes down to, looks like in Botswana, South Africa, the whole eastern uh, side of Africa, there's a species there. And then you go, you know, hop over to India all the way through China, mm-hmm. down through Indonesia. So they're, they're pretty widespread in the old world. Now, as far as getting into their evolution, this is going to be really, really short today, but I thought it was really cool. Angie, if you could guess, okay, the, the pangolins are from the order. This, this game fi- always makes me nervous. <laughs> I <laughs> no, never do no. good at this game. <laughs> no, but it's really cool. It's, I thought it was really astonishing when I looked it up. Okay. The order Folodota is mm-hmm. the only members are pangolins. Okay. okay. So, so they're not part of another order, and they belong to the Claude Ferrae, which is pangolins and what? If you had to guess. Ferrae. Hmm. I should have taken Latin. <laughs> I, I know. Like. I know. I know. Oh, man. Uh, um, well, I'm just going to take the easy way out and say arm- <laughs> armadillo or anteater. Yeah, I know. That's what I thought, you know, yeah. or the Eulopodophia, hedgehog, shrews, moles or something. You know, no, it's carnivores. What? Yes, I know. I'm like their closest relatives are carnivores that's so interesting yeah yeah that was the cool part about their evolution okay so yeah yeah and and they have done a lot of dna you know obviously studies and their closest relatives are the hyena uh certain wolves things like that you really got to kind of go out a little wait 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 back up the wait wait back up the bus yeah yeah so you're telling me that a pangolin is clo- more closely genetically related to my dog Gypsy, who's very beautiful, by the way, than yes, yes. to the armadillo meatball that I used to work with at the zoo. Yeah, nine banded armadillo. I'm looking at it right here. I, I will put it in the show notes. The uh, the bootstrap the DNA analysis that they've huh. done that they are actually closely more closely related to hedgehogs than before you get to the armadillos and anteaters and aardvarks and shrews. Okay, the, interesting. They're genetically more related to cheetahs, leopards, striped hyenas, gray wolves, giant pandas, brown fur seal, European otter, 
all carnivores. Well, isn't, isn't that, crazy? that just something? The wor- See, look at the yeah, I, no. learning. I love learning. It's the world <laughs> it's is really cool. An amazing, an amazing place, and uh, the things we yeah. can do now with genetic testing too are, is is pretty remarkable. Now, now that I have you, you know, I'm trying to get you ready for your defense because Angie's getting ready to defend her her PhD and become Dr. Atkin here very very shortly. Very scared Where? team <laughs> out there. Send, Who, send me some love and support. Mammal? Yeah, and I hope. I actually, I hope you do ask me that one. Can we stage that question? I will. I will. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So if you had to guess the out, well, they have an outgrouping here of mammals. Who's probably the farthest related to the pangolins in your mind? Um, Out of all the mammals. Mm, well, I, I guarantee you listeners I know. Marine, I would have said, I would have said marine mammals, but mm-hmm. you mentioned seals. So, um, bats. No, the bats are actually really close. Think of a, oh. a species we've covered that is just so out there. Listeners are screaming mm. at the radios right now. I know they are. <laughs> oh, platypus. Yay, monotremes. There you go. <laughs> Yay. Can you please give me hints like that in my, dis- in my defense? I'm Hold ask- my hand just a little bit as I start crying. <laughs> I am. I'm not going to ask you anything about you know, phytoestrogens and blood and all that stuff. I'm going to ask you about monotremes. So, yeah, there you go. There's the evolution talk. Now, what is cool, too, when you looked into some of this pangolin evolution is the convergent evolution of insectivores, the ones that eat ants and termites and things like that. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. you you go, you've got the giant anteater in South America. You have the nine-banded armadillo in North America. You have Mm -hmm. aardvarks and pangolins, too, in Africa. And then you have the pangolins in Asia. And then you have the echidnas in Australia. And they all... Their bodies, their tongues, their noses, their sense of smell, they all have evolved. Their eyes have all evolved to be able to get in and break into these ant mounds or termite mounds and, and get food. So, you know, there's, they're a great example of convergent evolution, meaning they are not related, but they have evolved similar traits separate from each other due to the environment. Mm-hmm. Science. Yeah. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Love it. Love. Yeah. Yay. Science. All right. So that was the quick, that was the quick evolution. You know, let's stump Angie talk. Now <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's embarrass Angie for the night. No, which no I love no. it. No, no, I love it. I don't get embarrassed. That's how you learn, right? Yeah, I know, and, I know. and thinking and getting hints. <laughs> right. So of the eight species, four are in Africa, four are in Asia. So in Africa, you have the black bellied pangolin and the white bellied pangolin. The black-bellied is a little bit smaller range in Central Africa and West Africa. The white-bellied range is a little bit larger in that same area. And then you have within that, you have the giant pangolin, which is kind of Congo area, and then a little bit uh, over to West Africa. And then in East Africa, down to South Africa, you have the ground pangolin. Mm-hmm. Now, going to Asia, you have the Indian pangolin, obviously in India, the Chinese pangolin, obviously in China, the Philippine pangolin, obviously in the Philippines, and then the you're, Sunda pangolin. You have a little pattern going here. <laughs> yeah, and then the Sunda pangolin, which is Indonesia. Okay, okay so those so. are the eight. Those are the mm-hmm. eight, right? Yeah. Now, like Angie said, the conservation, which we're going to get into, but just being decimated and really China and Vietnam again are the two countries that are importing them. They 
really want their meat. The, the meat's a delicacy. So I was reading uh, some reports and from some of these pangolin uh, conservation centers or conservation groups that the bush meat, you know, obviously the bush meat, Angie and I've talked about that before, a, a local in Central Africa hunting to provide for his family. I mean, it stinks. It's a hard discussion. We're not having that today, but you can kind of feel for that human being. Okay. Yes. They are foregoing bush meat. They're actually taking these pangolins and then using the routes they've already established for ivory to smuggle these animals out. So they're not even eating them like the locals. They're just catching them and sending them along uh, the trade. And then they're being trafficked to Asia. So that's what's going on with them. It's, it's pretty, pretty sad story with them. But they're also in high demand in these, some of these Asian countries for their scales, for mm-hmm. uh, medicinal purposes. There's a lot of beliefs that these pangolin scales can cure anything from cancer to um, other other medical issues, which, once again, the main take-home message is there's absolutely no scientific ed- evidence that pangolin scales can cure anything because no. they are made up of keratin. Keratin, yep. Just like the rhino horn, just mm-hmm. like your fingernails or your toenails. Mm-hmm. And as cow, far, horn, cow horn, goat hair. I and mean, as far yeah. as I know, putting your toenails in a cup of tea has <laughs> not helped any <laughs> medical issues that I've ever had or anybody else David. for that matter. Um, but it is, it, you know, yeah, they, it, 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 but a lot of these are, you know, traditional beliefs and, um, and a lot of, there's a lot more. Um, disposable income in a lot of these Asian countries like Vietnam and of course in China. And so, uh, people can, can, and, uh, can, can, yes, can afford to do this and throw, I guess, good money away. And, um, and demand. Yeah. The demand has gone through the roof in the last 10 years. Oh yeah. So I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they even, I even saw like some, they think it's an aphrodisiac. So I'm like, oh, get, you know, get it into this again. It's like, I just want to send, you know, ibuprofen, the blue pill, <laughs> by, uh, the, what's that? Viagra. Called? The, um, yeah, the Viagra. Oh, don't, so don't, don't act like you don't know what that is. <laughs> I'm busted. <laughs> I, <laughs> just teasing. I, just teasing. I have wanted to do Viagra studies on animals to improve blood flow when I was doing my angiogenesis work. I do not never we're not going there. I don't <laughs> I've just, never taken it. Just I never you. whatever. Um so yeah, uh just need to change this. You know, but uh, so what I don't know, on a more serious note, uh there yeah. there have been a lot of anti-poaching efforts made in in tons of countries, but most of these efforts so far have have failed because the pangolins, and we'll get to this more in their more behavior and description, but they're relatively mm-hmm. small in size, anywhere from like mm-hmm. three to four pounds to six to eight pounds. Yeah. Uh, so they're way easier to traffic than elephant tusks mm-hmm. or rhino horns. Yes. And, and they've been kind of under the radar until more recently too. So... I think that that's probably hasn't 
really help them their case either. And there is an international right. ban on their trade, but this illegal trafficking is just um, and it's just skyrocketed. So, right, right. I think you gotta you gotta nip it at the source of demand. And I know China, due to pressure, international pressure, has cracked down on ivory. They've been doing a better job of doing that. I still know, I think Thailand and, and parts of that world have, again, started to bend to pressure of ivory. I watched a, um, a documentary, a small little uh, video doc on pangolins, and reporters were in Thailand, and I think in Bangkok, mm-hmm. a big city where uh, they have these beautiful markets with fresh fruits and meats and, you know, pretty much you can buy anything, you know, you want. And they had no problem finding pangolin, dry pangolin scale. And it was very expensive. And then they even, they took, they took, took it so far as to, they found, and I don't know how they found this, but they found a a restaurant that prides itself in serving, um, serving hard to get wildlife. And the menu was just like, it almost made me cry. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, you know, I try to respect and understand other cultures that are different than mine, but the pangolin was on the menu Mm -hmm. along with many, many other, uh, endangered animals. And when the undercover reporter went to order it, the restaurant owner was like, Oh yes, I can have a live one here in 10 minutes. And we'll like basically cook it at the table for you. Right. Obviously, the reporter did not push it that far. Uh, they were just trying to make a point with this. Governments are cracking down on it. Allegedly, it's pretty hard to reinforce, especially when a lot of these countries, as you had mentioned earlier, have a lot of bigger fish to fry, right, like right. problems with their people and right. and poverty health and, and yeah. Uh, yeah. wars and poverty. So it is it is still going on, and that's one of my goals with this podcast. I know yours too, Chris, is – uh, I think one of the things we can do today, and we'll touch on this more towards the end of the podcast, but just get the word out there. Right. You know, what is a pangolin? It's not a penguin. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and how can we help it? And how can we support it? And just knowing that this is an, an issue. And um, and I don't want anybody to give up their fight and, and their donations to uh, rhino horn right, and right. issues and or poaching of elephants. However, I think maybe we could spread the love around for some of these pangolin because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they need us. They need us just as bad, if not more so. You're right. If you're playing a numbers game, than uh, some of these bigger mammals. You were talking about the size, and you're right. Uh, real quick, we don't know their life cycle as far as in the wild, but they can live up to 20 years in captivity, which makes sense for a small mammal. That's about right. You know, about 20 years, two decades. They are. As little as three and a half pounds or 1.6 kilograms. And that's the black bellied pangolin. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then those things are only as long as a foot. So they're about 30 centimeters, not very, very big. The giant ground pangolin can weigh up to 73 pounds. So that's, that's a big, big. Yeah. 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 That's like a bigger dog. Uh, 40 inches long body. I mean, their tail's a little bit longer too. A uh, hundred cent- centimeters. Now, this was interesting, Angie, talking about their physiology. They don't have any teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Like the platypus, right? No teeth. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, like the platypus, they've evolved a pretty cool solution to not having Mm -hmm. teeth in their mouth. And so 
They'll ingest small stones in sand.、Mm-hmm. That help grind their food and their gizzard-like stomachs. So right, who, ne- yeah. who needs teeth when you got kind of like teeth <laughs> in your stomach? Right. So for all of us that lose our teeth, you know, just eat some rocks and、mm-hmm. uh, you'll be good. That's simple. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. So their vision's really, really terrible.、Mm-hmm. They, they don't have really good eyesight, but well, they don't excellent smell and hearing. Yeah, and, and if you think about how nature is form versus function. They、mm-hmm. are nocturnal for the most part. Most species mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.、Um, are nocturnal most of the time, so they don't really need good eyesight.、Uh, you can put,、no. and they put all their energy instead into their smell, their sense of smell. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they they have excellent excellent smelling. The before we get to the really cool thing. They're really cool physiology. There's so much cool I, physiology. I, I, What are you talking about? I know, I know. But this was funny. I thought this was funny because whenever we we go back to my favorite episode, the honey badger, and they have anal glands and they secrete noxious chemicals like skunks. So, yes, I know. Angie's dying to do the smell test.、So. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. <laughs>、uh, Uh, I can't wait. Well, for your postdoc or whatever you do, seriously, go, yes, who's the stinkiest animal stinkiest out there? But yeah, and, you yeah. know, my husband and I do that all the time, and I, where there'll be like you know some yogurt in the refrigerator、yeah. or something, <laughs> and you know, or and. Just we just we go for it. We like smell it, and then of course afterwards we're like, oh, why? Why did we go in so close? Yeah, I just, <laughs> I just, I, it's like I, I can't,、uh-uh. I can't learn to not go、uh-uh. in. Or like my dog. Once again, I'll be like, oh, I, you、right. know, she loves to roll and thinks she shouldn't roll, and when she goes to the horse farm, and I'll kind of think I get a whiff of something that I don't like, but of course I have to like, you know, go in really, really、oh, close,、yeah. and then be yeah grossed out, and then always laughing. Oh, the swamps of Florida <laughs>、yeah. with the dogs. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot of interesting、uh, smells in Florida. That's、um, although I live in Chicago, there were a lot of interesting、yeah. smells in the city too. So it's、yeah. like it's like tit for tat. Different smells though. Different、yeah. smells. Yeah. Different smells remind me of different periods in my life. My was it my t- oh yeah twenties or my thirties, right?、Uh, I remember yeah. Hot July, New York City, walking Ooh, downtown.、Gosh. You're like, oh my yeah, god, yeah. where am I?、Mm-hmm. Uh, take me back to California and the beaches and the smell of the ocean.、Mm-hmm. All right, now the most amazing part of their physiology is their really long, sticky tongue. Yes,、And、I did not know this.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, me neither. I They, learned this too. I mean, it makes total sense. Yeah,、mm-hmm. yeah. They can extend it up to 16 inches or 40 centimeters. So. Really far. Yes, Chris. I didn't know this. Yeah, it attaches near the pelvis in the last ribs. Like what? Yeah, their tongue is anchored to a point on their pelvis. Correct. Yeah, that's insane. Like their、mm-hmm. whole body.、Mm-hmm. That's insane.、Mm-hmm. That is crazy、and、physiology. Certain species basically can extend their tongue, the sticky tongue,、uh, to collect ants and termites uh,、mm-hmm. uh, longer than their bodies. So yeah. Do that as a visual. Yeah, that's like I, yeah. You know, I'm trying to picture you with a tongue as tall. You know, you're six something. That, that's <laughs> ridiculous, right? That's yeah, something out、yeah. of an alien movie, if you will. Yes,、mm-hmm. it would be quite scary. Yeah, it would be quite scary. <laughs> But the other other really interesting thing too with the tongue is that they have glands in their chest that help lubricate their tongues with this sticky mucus. So, to, and what that does is so. 
basically the insect, the termite or the ant, which is their primary diet, uh, will just stick to it like glue. You know, there's nothing these poor little insects can do, which I think that's a pretty interesting adaption. Yeah, to slurp it right up. And that's perfect mm-hmm. right into their nutrition, nutrition that they're insectivores. Really specialized in termites and ants. I know we've said that, but they do eat other larvae, like from bees and worms and flies and things like that. The the reason I think a lot of people haven't seen them in captivity is because it's really hard to formulate these diets for them and mm-hmm. finding diets that mimic what they have in the wild. So I know that's sure, what zoos Chris. are probably working really hard right now on. They are, and I'm, I'm going to touch on that. I'll save that for the end. Very exciting, mm-hmm. the, uh, mm-hmm. my conservation organizations of the week that I get to talk about today. But yeah, it's they're loosely known as one of the hardest animals to keep under human care. Um, right. They just they don't do well with it, and a lot of that is based on their diet. Um, however, animals such as the armadillo do wonderful. Uh, when they're housed in our human care. And, and I work very closely with three-banded armadillos and a, a wonderful uh, breeding program because three armadillos are, I don't know if, if they're endangered, but they are definitely threatened or uh, uh, populations need our attention. And right. and they did great. And they were really fun right. to work with. The diet that the nutritionists have formulated for the armadillos seemed to work just fine. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when these diets are were tried historically, or similar type diets were tried historically with uh, pangolins in a captive setting, it just it just didn't work well. And mm-hmm. um, the other reason, too, they might not historically may not have thrived as well is because with we just don't know a lot about them either right. uh, as far right. as their their behavior how they live uh and the with them being nocturnal too the, they are harder species to study and um and yeah i think they just kind of perhaps have ridden under the radar for a while because Long time, yeah. you know, they because they weren't endangered and it's only been recently mm-hmm. this supply and demand has like chris said has skyrocketed so and researchers estimate that a pangolin in the wild perhaps can consume anywhere from 140 to 200 grams of insects per day. And that's about uh, five to seven and a half ounces. Um, so I think of an ounce of like a can of soda or something. Right. Uh, so it's a, a lot of insects, right? Uh, it's a very high protein. Well, here, here, let me ask you diet. this. Mm-hmm. This was my, my, another quiz question I had for you. Uh-oh. <laughs> How many number of individual insects can a pangolin eat in a year? If you had to guess, oh, that, take that ounces. So you know, you have a 12 ounce soda. Uh-huh. So they eat half of that a day. Mm-hmm. But how many insects, if you had to guess a number, I was astonished. I was like, whoa. Like, are you talking in pounds or are you talking about variety? No, total number. Okay. Total number. If you had to count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I mean, per year, like a, a million. I don't know. I'm just uh, throwing numbers <laughs> yeah. out higher. Oh, we'll do, we'll do, oh, this uh, is fun. Right. Right. Higher. Right. You never want to go over, <laughs> just, right? For we're, we're probably yeah, no. Chris, we're dating ourselves. Although Price is Right is still on. I know. Price is Right is still on. Yeah, so yeah. we're okay. Yeah. No, it's it's it's. I'll give it to you. Thank you. Seventy million. What? That is insane. Yeah, seventy million insects. Okay. Yeah, I was. That's... My next guess was going to be like ten million. I was just going to like jump up a little yeah. bit. Higher. Ah, uh, yeah, higher, yeah, yeah, lower, yeah, yeah. Higher. No. <laughs> seventy million. So, 
think about their their niche. Again, we always talk about these animals, trickle up, trickle down. Their niche in nature. These are critical to maintaining, you know, a balance against insects. Like we go to the the Guam flying fox is extinct. Now there's yeah, and, and there's other species there too, but you start tearing down that biome, now spiders are taking over Guam, mm-hmm. right? You take out these insectivores, you take out some of these specialists out of the environment, the other species that are kept in check, they explore. Yeah, you're... You know, polar bears mm-hmm. and up in the Arctic Circle, right, with the, the seals, the ring seals are going to, their population is going to just explode which then they eat lots of fish, so then fish populations will go down. Things that the fish eat are going to bloom. Like, you just screw up the whole balance of nature. And I am just visualizing, without pangolins to do their job and with termites, mm-hmm. that doesn't seem like a good thing for the people that live in residential areas near pangolin right. habitat. I mean, right. nobody wants more termites in their home. <laughs> mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. it's thing and, and ants and, and, and yeah. yeah, all of that. Right. So it, they do, they really, they really have their own niche that they've clearly evolved for a purpose. And yeah, we, we take them away. The trickle down effect is number one on unknown, uh, but. Mm-hmm. Number two is it won't be good. No, I can no. hypothesize that at least. Yeah, no, it's 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 bad. But you know, anyways, getting back to the species, they they're insectivores, they're nocturnal. What other cool behaviors do they have? Well, honestly, Chris, there's not a ton of research done on these guys, like I had mentioned before. But it is important to note that some species of pangolins live in trees for the most part and, and, uh, in like a hollow, a hollowed out area of a tree. So there are, they are arboreal. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's several other species that are ground dwelling that dig tunnels underground and use those large, large claws to burrow also to knock down termite mounds and to look for ants. And with that being said too, we mentioned that sometimes the pangolins uh, are observed in a bipedal stance, so walking like T-Rex. Yeah. And it's really cute because they lift up a little bit, walk on their hind legs, not obviously not totally upright, but and then their little arms and claws stick out and it's just it's hilarious. And yeah, so I yeah. highly I highly recommend that you check them out on YouTube. There's a couple of really cool videos of them walking. It's it's pretty darn cute and we can put some links on the show notes. Yeah. But pangolins, interestingly enough, are really good swimmers, and they researchers have noted that they, before they enter the water, they're they'll fill their stomachs with air, which helps them become more buoyant. Pretty yeah, genius. I was thinking like, wouldn't they just sink? But yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. So they figured out how to do it. I I need to teach my uh, four year old yeah. and uh, one and a half year old to yeah. do that. Because they're sinking yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they do well with the life jackets, and they love swimming. But the minute the life jackets come off, I'm like, yeah, hey. they'll sink. <laughs> um, so, mm-hmm. but yeah, but we do obviously know that they're mostly nocturnal, and they are solitary in the wild. So uh, they're only going to come across each other, male and female, for breeding purposes. Of course, moms and babies will stay together. I'll touch on that in a moment. And as always, I love my vocalizations. It just makes me happy. But 
there's really not much known about pangolin communication. No, no. So yeah, it's suspected that they that they do a lot of scent marking, especially during breeding. But and they have, of course are going to have some visual communication and and tactile communication. But as far as noises that they make, I couldn't find any that have been recorded mm-hmm. or talked a lot about. But what I did find, and I'm such a dork. I mean, you already know that, so oh I'm yeah, not telling you anything you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Both of us. But I did find a really charming video of a pangolin, and, and it's um, under human care, and they're videotaping him, of course, at night in red light, mm-hmm. and he is using his wonderful sense of smell. To sniff, sniff, sniff like he's never sniffed right, before. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know if the listeners want to hear it. You can cut this out if it doesn't yeah. turn out well. But I'm going to play a video that's, for whatever reason, very relaxing to me <laughs> of a pangolin who is super charming. We'll put the link uh, yeah. on our show notes. Super charming and just sniffing away. And it just made it just made me fall in love once again and wanting to learn more about them. So right, right. stand by for one second. So the whole video is this pangolin pretty much sniffing around his new enclosure, and it's mm-hmm. the cutest thing ever. Uh, it only has like 1,600 views on YouTube, but I think 1,500 of them are mine. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so anybody anybody else who, uh, who uh, uh, likes uh, pangolins, join me in yeah. listening to this very, very uh, meditative pangolin sniffing video. So yeah, um, yeah, we'll put it I know, up. We'll I'm put a it dork. Up. What what can I <laughs> what can yeah. I say? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We actually probably didn't. I don't know if we touched touched on it, but the sc- parts of the scales can be sharp when they roll into a ball. Right. Can really detour. Besides the fact that they're like an armored ball of scales, mm-hmm. it, uh, the sharpness of the scales can detour a lot of predators. And there's really interesting uh, uh, video that I also found on YouTube. Uh, uh, I think it's a female lioness and her cubs trying to get, uh, it must be a giant ground pangolin and yeah, the mom, it's the funniest thing. She like tries once and she's like, no, thanks. Like not even, it's probably also emitting that, um, uh, they don't spray like skunks. Noxious smell. Yeah. They just release the odor. It's like an acid from their anal glands and, uh, they don't spray it, but it's, it's just funny. Her face, and I don't want to anthropomorphize too much, but her face in the video yeah. is like, mm, not worth it. No thanks. <laughs> yeah. But of course the young, uh, lion cubs are like Tweedledee and Tweedledum and they just keep playing with this, this, uh, balled up, stinky, uh, pangolin and they won't leave it alone. They won't leave it alone. And the mom <laughs> just goes and lays down and just look in her face is like, ay, ay, ay. I, I have that yep. look very often, like uh, pretty yes, much every night. Right? Every night, African pangolin females usually give birth to a single offspring at a time, but the Asiatic species can sometimes give birth um, from one to three babies. And I don't know what baby pangolins are called, so I'll just call them babies. I bet I looked. I couldn't find like what male penguins are called yeah. or females. I don't know. That was tough. No, um, you and I could make it up, and maybe it would catch. Uh, maybe, <laughs> it would, maybe it would catch on. I want to call yeah. the babies um, Pangies. 
<laughs> baby pangies. Yeah, baby. <laughs> there you go, baby pangies. Um, but we just we coined it. Yep, we mm-hmm, coined it mm-hmm, first. You mm-hmm. heard it here first, folks. Yeah. Uh, but with the offspring or the baby pangies, pangolin babies, uh, when they're born, Chris, their scales are soft, which mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, uh-huh. for mama. Yeah, hard. These, yeah. <laughs> right. Pangolins are mammals, so they give live birth. And you wouldn't want to give live birth to something that had hard mm. scales. Or like, say, a porcupine? <laughs> oh, my God. Right, right, right. <laughs> you, I just crossed my legs, okay? Um, yeah. Yeah, so, so uh, once again, nature is smarter than all of us. Uh, Mother Nature figured it all off. And so the scales are soft, but they begin to harden within days of being born. Because once again, these scales are their number one defense mechanism from predators. And they're weaned when they're approximately three months of age, um, but they'll continue to remain with their mom for many more months after that. It it depends on the species, and some say even up to a year or two. Um, Mm -hmm. But to go back to what I had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, for those listeners that are still with us and are just as pumped up about pangolins, team pangolin, as we are... um, the cutest thing ever, and we'll put some a picture on the show notes, and of course you can find it on Handy Dandy YouTube, mm-hmm. but young pangolins do not walk for several weeks after they're born, but mm-hmm. instead, Chris, mm-hmm. they cling to their mom's tail and basically ride mm-hmm. on their tail to get, al- uh, to get around. Yeah. It is- That would be so awesome to see. The cutest thing ever ever oh my gosh that's another video i kept watching over and over and um yeah yeah, i just it's once again it's kind of like baby wearing that you and i have talked about but right yeah (laughs) right right right. yeah but in a different way and so i just i was just really charmed by that behavior oh yeah catching a uh a ride with mama mm -hmm, but once again there's still so much we don't know so there's probably tons of other really cute things that they do or neat unique things that we do that the uh that we're just on the cusp of so it would be really yeah. sad if these uh guys went extinct and we weren't able to learn more about them and or understand how to um better interact with them and better take care of them yeah so. and it was so in preparing for the podcast Angie I was looking for things on their scales and stuff. And what I was finding was actually like structural engineers. Yes, Chris, of, totally. Uh, I, I did the same thing, of course, in preparation. Yeah. And I couldn't really find very much at all on their biology no. or physiology, mm-hmm. um, behaviors, none of that. But, right. but go ahead. Yes. I didn't read that paper because it was, it was hurting my brain, but it sounds, like, yeah, <laughs> it sounds like you read it. They were, well, some of it. And they were looking at the nanostructures and, you know, a lot of these structural engineers are engineers are looking at nature, you know, not so much in the, I guess in the pangolin, but, you know, I know in spider silk and, and other things that are really strong in nature, mm-hmm. they're trying to figure out the chemical composition so then they can turn around and make it, you know, for things that we could use. Mm-hmm. So looking at the pangolin scales, they are sharp. They're very hard. Mm-hmm. So looking at a substance for not just like a military, but let's just say things for, you know, civilian use that, you know, building structures and things like that. So yeah, that was about all I could find. I couldn't find a lot on their biology or behavior or any of that stuff that just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't no, exist. No, but it, but right? it's also a vote in favor of saving these guys is 
we can learn about how they use these awesome defense mechanisms and perhaps use them for our benefit or for society's benefits. Pretty cool stuff. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's nature's awesome. Nature is amazing. The conservation, you know, we've gone uh, back and forth. Really, the ones that are really in big, big trouble are the Asian ones. Mm -hmm. Again, as we've alluded to, very hard to study. So we don't really have population numbers. Right, Chris. I think it's important to mention that the IUCN basically claims that all the species, all eight species, are ranged somewhere to vulnerable to critically endangered. Uh, at, at our best mm-hmm. guesstimates, right? So um, right. that's, I mean, yeah. that's on a good day, <laughs> which is is mm-hmm. not great news. Yeah. Um, and that, that yes, right. most of the species in Africa are listed as a vulnerable status, whereas mm-hmm. the four species mm-hmm. found in a- Asia are listed as either endangered or the uh, the Chinese and the Sunda pangolin are critically endangered. Right. Right. So they do know the populations are, are plummeting, you know, and that, again, that's why we're seeing it in the news and, and things like that. The, again, going back to why and the, the scales are a big one. The keratin, if you really want to know, you can go back to the rhino episode, one of the first episodes we did. I'm sure Angie and I were, were really rough around the edges. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I need to go back and listen to that. I was like, uh, and my voice was probably cracking. I'm like shaking, yeah. nervous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we Now did I'm just cover. having fun and like drinking coffee and just <laughs> talking about shooting the breeze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there was, when I talked about, you know, what makes up rhino horn, Pangolin, same thing. The keratin is the same thing. Nitrogen, mm-hmm. sulfur, all the amino acids, lysine, histidine, all of that. Same thing in human hair, chimpanzee hair, goat hair, cow hair, lamb wool, camel hair, cattle horn, rhino horn, fingernails, porcupine quills, echidna quills, hen feathers. There you go. Hen feathers. That's what we need to send them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Let's just get all those chicken feathers and grind them up. That is the same thing as these scales on these uh, pangolins. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they really, education is is our number one battle. I think that's what you and I are trying to do with for the listeners, educating people about them, the plight of them. I think that's a great idea as far as like, hey, I want to go to Thailand, but I'm not coming to your country and spending all my money if you support trafficking of endangered species if mm-hmm. you support ivory if you support rhino horn and that like goes that. to the united states too if we lift bans yeah. yeah. people overseas yeah. that i love to support yeah. wildlife should mm. say i don't want to take part in that i don't agree with that yeah, yeah vote with your dollar you know and so that was my conservation tip of the week i sat here and i thought okay how do i help pangolins you know we did talk about recycling cell phones and computers just recently we talked about using sustainable wood products just recently. So those are all because both those hotspots are similar to a copy, orangutans, the flying foxes, you know, those areas of the world. So I just said, you know, our conservation tip of the week, if you want to help spread knowledge, spread knowledge, yes. spread knowledge. You Chris, know? I totally agree, especially with this species, because they're really just not very well known. They're not one of the big five. Uh, yeah, just just tell your friends, tell your uh, share maybe share our 
um, our podcast on your Facebook or one of these cute YouTube videos of a pangolin sniffing. Uh, yeah, learn more about them and just, yeah, quiz your friends when they, when you say, Hey, do you know what a pangolin is? And they're going to say a penguin. Yeah. Yeah. Of yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you yeah. can tease them. No, no, no. Yeah. And then check them. I mean, they're just, I mean, if, for all the people out there that love cute cat videos or cute animal videos, yeah. I mean, these guys really fall into, in my opinion, at least for my, for me, visually satisfying, very, mm-hmm. very cute creature. Right. And, and yeah, you should learn more about them, share knowledge. Right. That's, um, right. that will at least help. I think, it's tough to save them or make people care about something if they don't know about it, right? right. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I, if you don't know about it, it, just go into the radar, and then you can save up your chicken feathers and, and send them overseas. <laughs> yeah, to, there you uh, go. You know the medicinal. Use it uh, instead of the blue pill, Angie. You can just save up some of those uh, <laughs> feathers. Seriously, right? <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so you know who should we be looking to support pangolins with okay well there's a few really good organizations out there that i found in my research uh the mm-hmm. the number one organization that i selected this week is called pangolin conservation and they can be found at uh, pangolinconservation.org same name on their facebook they have a very nice facebook presence so please check and i mean anybody can go like their page like that's the easiest way to to get involved without uh, you know getting off your couch, uh, but mm-hmm. they're a, a nonprofit that is dedicated to promoting the conservation, education, and of course research of the world's most fascinating mammal. And mm-hmm. they are working on the ground in Africa, and they work with uh, the University of Loam and other zoological partners to uh, – their main focus right now is to study the white-bellied tree pangolin in the wild to learn more about that guy. Mm-hmm. And one of their big goals, too, is to uh, develop husbandry practices for pangolins that have uh, – are being rehabilitated because they're either injured or in the wild or they've been rescued from poaching. A lot of times they're uh, caught in net traps and then just left for days until the the poacher comes back and uh, collects like a bounty of them, right? They don't want to come out every night because it's dangerous. And so uh, a lot of times these sickly or injured pangolins need to be nursed back to health. And so the pangolin conservation groups uh, helps promote how to best take care of them and and what do we feed them, right, when they're under human care. Um, not only when they're in rehabilitation centers, but also in a captive setting. So they're working on learning more about that. And they also are supporting zoological institutions in North America, providing more data about their uh, behavior in the wild, uh, their diet, when they're living under human care, and working with these zoological institutions to just basically learn more about them. Yeah, they're decreasing in the wild. And if they go extinct in the wild... And we don't have that genetic bank or have a stable population of captivity. They're gone. Yeah. And they're, yeah. And they're, you know, and they're just a really, a really good conservation group answering. It seems silly, but they're, yeah, it's not silly, but it it, it seems very raw. They're answering questions like what time of day are they active and for how long Mm -hmm. and what is the range of the males and females? So, and there's no need to like throw good money after bad if you don't if you have bad research and you don't know anything about the animal if you don't even right. know where they range right. or what they do uh, or what their what their needs are so this group is really trying to answer some of those questions especially for the white bellied 
Um, I also selected, which is near and dear to my heart, my old stomping grounds, yep. Chicago, Chicago. Oh, yeah, the Windy City. <laughs> you know, Chris, interestingly <laughs> enough, it is a very windy place to live. I, I um, lived right near Lake Michigan in mm-hmm. uh, North Chicago, Rogers Park. What, what? And it is windy, but it is, <laughs> it is uh, not called the Windy City for the wind. Oh, yeah? It is called the Windy City for the politics. Oh, God. All the politicians. Really? really? Yeah. Is that true? See, you learn. Fact check me, brother. Oh, my God. It really? is true. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. That, mm-hmm. I, I, okay, I never knew that. That's pretty funny. Okay. For See, the politics. Okay. Anyways. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but I, um, I selected Brookfield Zoo mm-hmm. and Granite. Um, I worked at Lincoln Park Zoo, mm-hmm. and so some people would think we're – rivals and right. whatnot. But honestly, when it comes to uh, zoological institutions, we want everybody to go to all zoos and check out all the species mm-hmm. and all the good things people are doing. So we really don't have a, a hometown rivalry between zoos, or at least I don't. I would right. I would work for either of them. So yeah. Brookfield, yeah. if you're out there. <laughs> yeah, they do a lot of good stuff. Uh, yeah, they do. Well, they do a lot of great things, but yeah. uh, their work with the pangolin is amazing. So check out Brookfield Zoo at CZS. That's C is in cat, Z is in zoo, S as in Sam. dot org, and their section on pangolins has tons and tons of great information. So the Brookfield Zoo partnered with Pittsburgh, Memphis, Columbus, New Jersey, and Texas, and of course with um, the zoological um, pangolin conservation group that I mentioned previously, and they want to understand more about them that is extremely hard to figure out in the wild because they're nocturnal and some live in trees. They want to learn more about their reproductive physiology, diseases, their behaviors. As we had mentioned early, historically, pangolins have not done well when they're living under human care. Mm -hmm. And so, but now we have a lot more technology. We have a lot more research. They have nutritionists. We have behavioral specialists, endocrinologists, all helping to take better care of these guys. And um, and I'm very re- excited to report that Brookfield Zoo, along with some of the other uh, zoological institutions, have had successful births in captivity. That's good, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's I just good, clapped. That's Sorry, I'm, like, I'm yeah. cheesy. But yeah, so um, now, you know, it's, there's been a few. Yeah, yay, yay. Congratulations, guys. And yeah. and they have one, uh, one animal on display, and that's uh, the video of the animal sniffing that I watched like 1,500 mm-hmm, times. Mm-hmm. Or, and yeah, yeah. in Chicago, there's about 2 million people that attend Brookfield Zoo each year. Mm-hmm. So 2 million people in North America right. that have no idea what this animal is are going to learn. Yeah, are going to learn about it. So that's very exciting. And then, of course, um, in general, this uh, with all with these six different zoos that there's at, they think they can reach up to about 8 million guests a year that most likely Andrew. never even heard of this. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Here's the, here's the third and final quiz question. What do you think the population of New Zealand is? Oh, okay. Well, I feel like it's going to relate. I have no idea. So I'm just going to throw that. And I, I, you know, the only thing I know about New Zealand and population, Chris, is that there are, correct me if I'm wrong, there are four sheep to every human on the island. That's a lie. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. More like dairy cows now, yeah. Okay, okay. That's probably uh, not They used to be. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to take a wild guess and say, oh gosh, um, one million? No, yeah, okay. So less than five million. 
Okay. Okay. And, I was and, lowballing and, it because I, yeah. I didn't want, I, you know, price is right rules. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'm at the, I'm, I'm south of the equator. I'm very, very near Antarctica or Antarctica. And the islands are huge. Like it's, they stretch like the East coast of the United States. So it's not like New Zealand's this tiny little country, but mm-hmm. there's only, yeah, four and a half million. Now we just did the census and we got to be part of it. Yay. Just a couple weeks ago. The we'll find out, but probably under five million. So when you say eight million people at only six zoos, it just, you know, the U S is so huge. It but, is. It, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. it really is. And, but that's why this, uh, consortium is really excited to, sh- to be the, some, some of the first to share these cool little unique mammals mm-hmm. to, uh, to, um, to people in the U S and hopefully right, get them right. excited about them and helping people understand the role that they can play in, uh, pangolin conservation. Right. And right. then, and then lastly to Brookfield, because they're awesome. Yeah, they, they do, they do good Af- stuff. Oh, so much stuff. I'm sure yeah. we'll be highlighting them again. Uh, mm-hmm. but they do work in Africa too. They, they're partnering with some universities in, uh, West African countries where the pangolins live to try to strengthen conservation efforts there as well right. and with education and research. Yeah. And Brookfield, just a shout out from my perspective. Uh, one of the things they were big on is animal welfare in zoos mm-hmm. and they are leading the charge in education as far as, you know, providing suitable environments and habitats and care of these animals at accredited we always say that accredited institution. So yeah, shout out to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for us this week, you know, go, I know we haven't said it in a few pods, but go check out our Patreon page. We, you can follow us. You don't have to pay us anything. You can subscribe. I'm going to be much more active on that now that I have my desktop <laughs> and I've all my stuff's made it over the ocean on the other side of the earth. So we'll be more active on that site, but you can, you can check us out on there. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. But thank you. Awesome pod, and oh, uh, I'm excited for what we're going to do next week. Yeah, thanks, Chris. It was so good to talk to you and yeah. um, discuss this really unique creature and have a couple laughs with you, yeah. as always. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> From one windy city to the next. Yeah, and <laughs> we all learned something today, right? Yes, yes, that yes, yes. But yeah. All right, yeah, go. Yeah, go, we'll, uh, we'll see you yeah. next week. Okay, go Team Pangolin. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.